Chapter Four of Flood Tide. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Flood Tide by Sarah Ware Bassett. Chapter Four: The Green-Eyed Monster Enters. Before the morning had passed, Bob Morton was as much at home in the little cottage that faced the sea as if he had lived there all his days. His property was spread out in the old mahogany bureau upstairs. His hat dangled from a peg in the hall, and he had exchanged his city clothes for the less conventional outing shirt and suit of blue serge, both of which transformed him into a figure amazingly slender and boyish. For two hours he and Celestina had rehearsed the family history from beginning to end, and now he had left her to get dinner, and he and Willie had betaken themselves to the workshop, where they were deep in confidential conversation. "'You see,' the inventor was explaining to his guest, "'it's like this. It ain't so much that I want to bother with these notions as that I have to. They get me by the throat, and there's no shaking them off. Only yesterday, for example, I got kitched with an idea about a boat,' he broke off, regarding his listener with sudden suspicion. Bob waited. Evidently, Willie's scrutiny of the frank countenance opposite satisfied him, for dropping his voice he continued in an impressive whisper, "'About a motorboat, this idea was.' Glancing around, as if to assure himself that no one was within hearing, he hitched the barrel on which he was seated nearer his visitor. "'There's a sight of plague with motor-boats among these shoals,' he went on eagerly. "'What with the eel-grass that grows along the inlets and the kelp that's washed in by the tide after a storm, the propeller of a motor-boat is snarled up a good bit of the time. "'Now my scheme,' he announced, his last trace of reserve vanishing, "'is to box that propeller somehow. If so be as it can be done, and—' The voice trailed off into meditation. Robert Morton, too, was silent. "'You would have to see that the wheel was kept free,' he mused aloud after an interval. "'I know it.' "'And not check the speed of the boat.' "'Right you are, mate,' exclaimed Willie with delight. "'And not hamper the swing of the rudder.' "'You have it! You have it!' Willie shouted rubbing his hands together and smiling broadly. "'It's all them things I'm up against.' "'I believe the trick might be turned, though,' replied young Morton, rising from the nail-keg in which he was sitting and striding about the narrow room. "'It's a pretty problem, and one it would be rather good fun to work out.' "'I'd need to rig up a model to experiment with, I suppose,' reflected Willie. "'Oh, we could fix that easily enough,' Bob cried with rising enthusiasm. "'We?' "'Sure, I'll help you.' The announcement did not altogether reassure the inventor, and Bob laughed at the dubious expression of his face. "'Of course, I'm only a dryland sailor,' he went on to explain good-humoredly, "'and I do not begin to have had the experience with boats that you have.' I did, however, study about them some at Tech, and perhaps— "'Study about them,' repeated Willie, 
unable wholly to conceal his skepticism and scorn. Again the younger man laughed. "'I realize that is not like getting knowledge firsthand,' he continued with modesty. "'But it seemed the best I could do. "'As to this plan of yours, two heads are sometimes better than one, "'and between us I believe we can evolve an answer to the puzzle.' "'That'll be prime,' Willie ejaculated, now quite comfortable in his mind. "'And when we get the answer to the riddle, Jan Eldridge will help us. "'You ain't met Jan yet, have you? "'He's the salt of the earth, Genoa Eldridge is. "'Him and me are the greatest chums you ever saw. "'He maybe has his peculiarities like the rest of us. "'Who ain't? "'You'll likely find him kind of sharp-tongued at first but he don't mean nothing by it. And he's quick, too, goes up like a rocket at a minute's notice. Folks down in town insist in addition that he's jealous as a girl, but I've yet to see signs of it. For all his little crochets, you'll like Jan Eldridge. You can't help it. We're none of us angels when it comes to that. Hush! broke off Willie warningly. I believe that's him now. Didn't you see a head go past the window? I thought I did. Then that's Jan. Nobody else would be coming across the dingle. Now, not a word of this motorboat business to him, cautioned Willie, dropping his voice. I never tell Jan about my ideas till I get em well worked out, for he's no great shakes at inventin'. There was an instant of guilty silence, and then the two conspirators beheld a freckled face, crowned by a mass of rampant sandy hair, protrude itself through the doorway. "'Aye, hey, Willie,' called the newcomer, unmindful of the presence of a stranger. "'Well, how do you find yourself today? Ready to tackle another pump?' With simulated indignation, Willie bristled. "'Pump,' he repeated. "'Don't you dare so much as to mention pumps in my hearing for six months, Genoa Eldridge. "'I've had my fill of pumps for one spell.' "'The freckled face in the door expanded its smile into a grin "'that displayed the few scattered teeth adorning its owner's jaws. "'No,' went on the inventor. "'I ain't attacking no pumps today. "'I'm sort of taking a vacation. "'You see, we've got company.' Teeny's nephew, Bob Morton, from Indiana, has come to stay with us. This is him on the nail keg. Shuffling further into the room, Jan peered inquisitively at the guest. "'So, you're Teeny's nephew, eh?' he commented, examining the visitor's countenance with curiosity. "'Well, well, to think of some of Teeny's relations turning up at last!' Not that it ain't high time, I'll say that. Now, which of the Mortons do you belong to, young man? L. Nathan. I might a known first glance, for you're like him as his tintype. Bob laughed. Aunt Teeny thinks I am too. She'd oughter know, was the dry comment. She had the plague of bringing him up from the time he could toddle. I'm glad some of you have finally got round to coming to see her. You've been long enough doing it. I ain't so sure, though, but if I was in her place, I'd... 
"'There, there, Jan,' interrupted Willie nervously. "'Why go digging up the past? "'The lad is here now, and... "'But they have been the devil of a while taking notice of Teeny,' Genoa persisted, not to be coaxed away from his subject. "'Why, t'was only the other day when we was working out here "'that you yourself said the way her folks had neglected her was outrageous.' "'And it was, too, Mr. Eldridge,' confessed Bob, flushing. "'Our whole family have treated Aunt Teeny shamefully. "'There is no excuse for it.' "'Before the honest admission of blame, "'Jan's mounting wrath grudgingly calmed itself. "'Well,' he grumbled in a more conciliatory tone. As Willie says, maybe it's just as well not to go bringin' to life what's buried already. Like as not, there may have been some good reason for your folks never comin' back to Wilton after once they'd left the place. Indiana's the devil of a distance away, almost at the other end of the world, ain't it? You might as well live in China as Indiana. I never could see anyway what took people out of Wilton. There ain't a better spot on earth to live than right here. Yet, for all that, every one of the Mortons, Septini, who showed her good sense, in my opinion, went flocking out of this town quick as they was growed, like as if they was a lot of swarming bees. I'd doubt myself, too, if they're a whit better off for it. Your father now. What does he make out to do in Indiana? Father is in the grain business, replied Bob with a smile. The grain business, is he? And likely he sets in an office all day long, in out of the fresh air, continued Jan with contempt. Plum foolish, I call it, when he could be living in Wilton and fishing and clamming and enjoying himself. That's the way with so many folks. They go kiting off to the city to make money enough to buy one of them automobiles. You won't catch me with an automobile. No, nor a motorboat, neither. Nor any other of them darn things that's going to set me living like as if I was shot out of the cannon's mouth. What's the good of being whizzed through life as if old Nick himself was at your heels, working faster, eating faster, dying faster? I see nothing to it, nothing at all. At the risk of rousing the philosopher's resentment, Bob burst into a peal of laughter. But ain't it so now, I ask you? Ain't it just as I say? insisted Genoa Eldridge. Argue as you will. What's the gain in it? To the speaker's apparent disappointment, the citizen from Indiana did not accept the challenge for argument but instead observed pleasantly, "'I'll wager you will outlive all us city people, Mr. Eldridge.' "'Course I will,' was the old man's confident retort. "'I'll be a-sailin' in my dory when the whole lot of you motorboat folks are under the sod. "'You see if I ain't. "'And speakin' of motorboats, Willie, "'I suppose you ain't done nothin' towards tacklin' Zenas Henry's tribulations with that propeller, have you?' The question was unexpected, and Willie colored uncomfortably. He was not good at dissembling. "'Twould mean quite a bit of thinkin' to get Zenas Henry out of his troubles,' returned he evasively. "'Tain't so simple as it looks.' 
Moving abruptly to the workbench, he began to overturn at random the tools lying upon it. Something in this unusual proceeding arrested Jan's attention, causing him to glance with suspicion from Robert Morton to the inventor, and from the inventor back to Robert Morton again. The elder man was whistling, Tenting Tonight, an air that had never been a favorite of his, and the younger, with self-conscious zeal, was shredding into bits a long curl of shavings. Jan eyed both of them with distrust. "'I figure we're going to have a spell of fine weather now,' remarked Willie with jaunty artificiality. The offhand assertion was too casual to be real. Cloud and fog were not dealt with in this cursory fashion in Wilton. It clinched Jan's doubts into certainty. Something was being kept from him, something of which this stranger, who had only been in the town a few hours, was cognizant. For the first time in fifty years, another had usurped his place as Willie's confidant. It was monstrous. A tremor of jealous rage thrilled through his frame, and he stiffened visibly. "'I reckon I'll be jogging along home,' said he, moving with dignity toward the door. "'But you've only just come, Jan,' protested Willie. "'I didn't come for nothing but to leave this hammer,' Jan answered, placing the implement on the long bench before which his friend was standing. "'Maybe there was something you wanted to see Mr. Spence about,' ventured Bob. "'If there was, I will—' "'No, there weren't,' snapped Genoa. "'Mr. Spence ain't got nothing confidential to say to me, whatever he may have to say to other folks.' And with this parting thrust he shot out of the door. Bob gave a low whistle. "'What's the matter with the man?' he asked in amazement. Willie flushed apologetically. "'Nothing, nothing in the world,' he answered. "'Jan gets like that sometimes. Don't you remember I told you he was kind of quick? It's just possible it may have bothered him to see me talking to you. Don't mind him.' "'Do you think he suspected anything?' "'Mercy, no, not he,' responded Willie comfortably. He's liable to fly off the handle like that a score of times a day. Don't you worry about him. He'll be back before the morning's over. Nevertheless, sanguine as this prediction was, the hours wore on, and Genoa Eldridge failed to make his appearance. In the meantime, Bob and Willie became so deeply engrossed in their new undertaking that they were oblivious to his absence. They worked feverishly until noon, devoured a hurried meal, and returned to the shop again, there to resume their labors. By supper time they had made quite an encouraging start on the model they required, their combined efforts having accomplished in a single day what it would have taken Willie many an hour to perfect. The inventor was jubilant. "'Little I dreamed when you came to the front door, Bob, what I was nettin'!' he exclaimed, clapping his hand vigorously on the young man's shoulder. "'You're a regular boat-builder, you are. The moon might a pogeed and perigeed before I'd a got as fur along as we have today. 
How you've learned all you have about boats without ever going near the water beats me. Now you ain't a-going to think of quitting Wilton and leaving me high and dry with this propeller idea, are you? Twould be a downright shabby trick. Bob smiled into the old man's anxious face. I can't promise to see you to the finish, for I must be back home before many days, or I'll have my whole family down on me. Besides, I have some business in New York to attend to, he said kindly. But I will arrange to stick around until the job is so well underway that you won't need me. I am quite as interested in making the scheme a success as you are. All is, you mustn't let me wear out my welcome and be a burden to Aunt Teeny. Law, Teeny'll admire to have you stay long as you can, if only because you drag me into the house at mealtime, chuckled Willie. At least I can do that, Bob returned. You can do that in a dern sight more, youngster, the inventor declared with earnestness. I ain't had the pleasure I've had today in all my life put together. To work with somebody as has learned the right way to go ahead, it's wonderful. When me and Jan tackle a job, we generally begin at the wrong end of it and blunder along, wasting time and string without limit. If we hit it right, it's more luck than anything else. Robert Morton, watching the mobile face, saw a pitiful sadness steal into the blue eyes. A sudden shame surged over him. I ought to be able to do far more with my training than I have done, he answered humbly. Dad has given me every chance. Think of it, murmured Willie, scrutinizing him with hungering gaze. Think of having every chance to learn. For an interval he smoked in silence. Well, he asserted at length, you've sure proved today that brains with training are better than brains without. Now, if Jan and me... He broke off abruptly. There, I wonder what in Tunket's become of Jan, he speculated. We've been so busy that he went clean out of my mind. It's queer he didn't show up again. He ain't stayed away for a whole day in all history. Maybe he's took sick. I believe I'll trudge over there and find out what's got him. I mustn't go to neglectin' Jan, inventin' or no inventin'. He rose from his chair wearily. I reckon a note would do as well, though, as goin' over, he presently remarked as an afterthought. I could send one in the box and ask him to drop round and set a spell before bedtime. He caught up a piece of brown paper from the workbench, tore a ragged corner from it, and hastily scrawled a message. Bob watched the process with amusement. There, announced the scribe when the epistle was finished. I reckon that'll fetch him. We'll put it in the box and shoot it across to him. Notwithstanding the dash implied in the term, it took no small length of time for the diminutive receptacle to hitch its way through the fields. The two men watched it jiggle along above the bushes of wild roses, through verdant clumps of fragrant bayberry, and disappear into the woods. Then they sat down to await Jan's appearance. 
the twilight was rarely beautiful. In a sky of palest turquoise, a crescent moon hung low, its arc of silver poised above the tips of the stunted pines, whose feathery outlines loomed black in the dusk. From out of the dimness the note of a vesper sparrow sounded and mingled its sweetness with the faintly breathing ocean. The men on the doorstep smoked silently, each absorbed in his own reveries. How peaceful it was there in the stillness, with the hush of evening descending like a benediction on the darkening earth. Bob sighed with contentment. His year of hard study was over, and now that his well-earned rest had come, he was surprised to discover how tired he was. Already the peace of Wilton was stealing over him, its dreamy atmosphere almost too beautiful to be real. From where he sat he could see the trembling lights of the village, jeweling the rim of the bay like a circlet of stars. A man might do worse, he reflected, than remain a few days in this sleepy little town. He liked Willie and Celestina, too. Indeed, he would have been without a heart not to have appreciated their simple kindliness. Why should he hurry home? Would not his father rejoice should he be content to stay and make his aunt a short visit? There was no need to bind himself for any definite length of time. He would merely drift, and when he found himself becoming bored, flee. To be sure, about the last thing he had intended when setting forth to the Cape was to linger there. He had come hither with unwilling feet solely to please his parents, and having paid his respects to his unknown relative, he meant to depart west as speedily as decency would permit, reasoning that it would be a mutual relief when the visit was over. But a single day in the cozy little house at the water's edge had served to convince him how erroneous had been his premises. Instead of being tiresome, his Aunt Celestina was proving a delightful acquisition, toward whom he already found himself cherishing a warm regard. And what a cook she was! After months of city food, her bread, pies, and cookies were ambrosial. As for Willie, Bob had never before beheld so gentle, ingenuous, and lovable a personality. Undoubtedly, the little inventor had genius. What a pity he had been cheated of the opportunity for cultivating it. There was something pathetic in the way he reached out for the knowledge life had denied him. It reminded one of a patient child who asks for water to slake his thirst. If, for some inscrutable reason, fortune had granted him, Robert Morton, the chance denied this grouping soul, was it not almost an obligation that, in so far as he was able, he should place at the other's disposal the fruits of the education that had been his? Presumably this motorboat idea would not amount to much, for if such an invention were plausible and of value, doubtless a score of nautical authorities would have seized upon it long before now. But to work at the plan would give the gentle dreamer in the silver-gray cottage happiness, and after all, happiness was not to be despised. If together he and Willie could make tangible the notion that existed in the latter's brain, the deed was certainly worth the doing. 
Moreover, the process would be an entertaining one, and after its completion he might go away with a sense of having brightened at least one horizon by his coming. Thus reasoned Robert Morton as in the peace of that June evening he casually shuffled the cards of fate, little suspecting that already a factor in his destiny stronger than any of his arguments was soon to make its influence felt and transform Wilton into a magnet so powerful that against its spell he would be helpless as a child. He was aroused from his meditations by the voice of Willie. "'Didn't you hear a little bell?' demanded the inventor. "'A sort of tinkling noise?' "'I thought I did.' "'It's the box coming from Jan's,' explained he. "'Can you catch a sight of it?' "'I see it now.' Rising, the old man tugged at the string, urging the reluctant messenger through the tangle of roses. "'By his writing a note, I figure he ain't coming over,' he remarked as the object drew nearer. "'I wonder what's stuck in his crop. Maybe Miss Eldridge won't let him out. She's something of a tartar, Arabella is. Jan has to walk the plank, I can tell you.' By this time, the cigar box swaying on the taut twine was within easy reach. Willie raised its cover and took from its interior a crumpled fragment of paper. "'Ugh, he's mighty savin,' he commented as he turned the missive over. "'He's writ on the other side of my letter. Let's see what he has to say. "'Can't come. Busy.' "'Well, did you ever?' gasped he, blankly. "'Busy? Good Lord! "'Jan's never been known to be busy in all his life. "'He don't even know the feeling. "'If Genoa Eldridge is busy, "'all I've got to say is "'the world's going to be swallowed up by another deluge.' "'Maybe, as you suggested, Mrs. Eldridge—' "'Oh, if it had been Miss Eldridge—' "'He wouldn't have took the trouble to send no such message as that,' broke in Willie. "'He'd simply a writ Arabella. "'It wouldn't have been a need for more. "'No, sir. "'Something stepped on Jan's shatter, "'and tomorrow I'll have to go straight over there "'and find out what it is.'" End of Chapter 4 Recording by Roger Moline